0: It's time for another live. Before we get started, wait for a few people to be able to log in and catch up and tune in and see what we kind got of going. All right, sounds good. My name is Stuart Albertson. I'm Keith Davidson. How are you doing today, Stuart? I'm doing uh, doing well. It's almost Fourth of July. You got any plans? Yeah, going to a pool party with the in-laws. You actually going to take your shirt off? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> get sunburned? I don't think so. How about you? Um, I
1: will be taking my shirt off, yes. No, nobody wants to see Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: We've got a pool party, and uh, apparently I'm supposed to show up, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, being that it's your house. Yes. You just kind of stumble outside. Yeah. So, all right. Why don't we get started? Uh, welcome to the Stand, Fight, Win live stream, Real Lawyers, Real Answers. I want to thank you for joining us again today. I, and my name, once again, is Keith Davidson. I am Stuart Albertson, and we are here to talk about special needs trusts. And this is kind of a less lesser known topic, I guess. I wasn't—I was going to say esoteric, but I don't think it's esoteric necessarily. But it's definitely lesser known and lesser understood. So I think it's a, an opportunity for us to talk about a topic that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, uh, except for when people need it or when people are dealing with it—a special needs trust. So. I thought we'd start today off with our breaking news segment and go over a case that primarily we're going to talk about because it has a very nice definition of special needs trust. And the case itself isn't so important for our discussion today, but this is uh, Shuri versus Arnold. That's S-H-E-W-R-Y, Shuri versus Arnold. And the site is 125 Cal App 4th 186. That's 125, Calop 4th, 186. This case this is from 2004 and it's not, um, we don't really need to talk about the facts of the case so much it has to do with a, a special needs trust that um, was created and then it passed to the child or the person who had the trust and the child was also disabled. But it has a really nice definition of what a special needs trust is and it says a special needs trust, um, hold on, let me read the right section is a trust that is intended to allow the beneficiary to continue to maintain eligibility for certain needs-based government benefits, such as supplemental social security income or Medi-Cal. And so under California law, when a court approves a settlement, and this is where somebody's approving a settlement for like a disabled person or a minor, one of the options the court has is to create a special needs trust. So really what we're talking about is a trust that is gonna be set up to supply funds to somebody, but is not going to make them ineligible for governmental benefits. And that's that's the whole point of what we're doing. And there's really two ways to set up these trusts. You can set them up, uh, a parent can set one up for a child, so that'd be a third party special needs trust where somebody's setting it up for somebody else, or you can do a first party special needs trust where you essentially set one up for yourself, but that In that case, you have to get court approval, and it's only for either minors or uh, disabled persons. And so we've dealt with this before on minors' compromise, where you'll get a minors' compromise at the end of a litigation, and you can put it in a blocked account, you can give it to a conservator or a guardian, or you can put it into a special needs trust. Now most people use blocked accounts because they're easy uh, on litigation, minors' compromises, but you can also use a special needs trust. Uh, and that would, that would be created by the court, and what the court would have to do is they look at the circumstances, and the court can create one uh, if the person has a disability, is either a minor or has a disability, that substantially impairs their ability to care for themselves. Um, the person is likely to have the special needs for some time. Um, and the money that's being put into the trust can't exceed the amount that appears reasonably necessary to meet the special needs of the incompetent person. So there's a few things that the court has to look at, and if you want more information on that, you can go to Probate Code Section 3604. That's 3604, the probate code, and it has all the stuff. You can sit there and read read through all that fun stuff. So basically what we're talking about, though, is something that is gonna go above and beyond the basic living needs of uh, of an individual. So and we're not Medi-Cal planning attorneys, you know, you have these attorneys who do Medi-Cal planning and they get really into the use of these special needs trusts and the ins and outs. We don't do that a whole lot. But where we come in on special needs trusts seems to be on the litigated cases. And so every now and again you'll have one of these special needs trusts uh, come up in one of our cases or somebody's a beneficiary of one. And what's what are some of your thoughts, Stuart? If somebody were to come to us and say, hey, I got this trust, and apparently it's a special needs trust, and I'm, I wanna get money out of it, what are some of the things that come to your mind when
1: that well, happens? Well, I think the first thing I wanna say from a 30,000 foot viewpoint is, you've know, you you've described the special needs trust very well, but what really are we talking about here? We're talking about the idea that there's a whole lot of money, let's call it a couple million dollars, that's yeah. in a trust that, that belongs to a beneficiary. But for the special needs trust, that beneficiary would lose their government assistance because they would no longer qualify for that government assistance because they have too much money now. And so we don't want them to lose that government assistance. And so whether it's a first party or third party special needs trust, we want to put the assets in that trust and limit the ability of that beneficiary to get to those assets It's really about control, right? We don't want that person to control those assets. And if they don't control them, then we're not gonna impute that income or the principle of that trust to that person, which then disqualifies them for
0: help from the state uh, for whatever reason they may may have going forward. And the funny thing about that control, since you put it so nicely in in saying that, the control means that you also, the trust mandates that you cannot use the money for, for necessities of life. So you can't use it for basic living needs because that's what the governmental benefit is for, right? Which is odd if you think about it because if if I were to just set up a trust for my child that's not a special needs trust, I might say, "Well, you can use this money for your rent, for medical expenses, for education, whatever. You know, you need to buy some groceries, you can use money for that." On uh, a special needs trust, you can't use it for any of those purposes. Mandated. It's mandated that you can't. Cuz otherwise it would ruin the governmental benefit. So
1: give, give, let's give the audience just a few examples of what, what can you as the trustee of a
0: special needs trust, what can you do for the beneficiary? You can pay for anything that's not necess- necessities of life. So you can't pay the basic rent if a governmental organization is is providing for that. But anything that a government organization won't pay for or can't pay for, then the trust can pay for it. Above so, and beyond. Above and beyond. So let's say that you need a new television because uh, you know your TV broke. And, of course, there's no government money to pay for a new television. The trust can pay for that. Um, let's say you know, the government pays for a wheelchair, but you want something that the government won't pay for, a special wheelchair that does certain things. Or a
1: medication that the government won't pay for, but now you can go and pay for it out of pocket and get right. the medication you're looking for. So I can see how you can use this. I, I, I found it interesting, and I, I often forget this point because we don't deal with a whole lot of special needs trusts. But... What are the games that the government's trying to keep people from playing by putting too much money in a special needs trust? So when they take a, the position that, look, you can only put into a special needs trust what's reasonably necessary for the beneficiary going forward. And and for somebody that's young and has a lot of problems,
0: that could be a significant amount of money. Right. So what is the government? I've never understood what the government's getting out there. Well, imagine if uh, somebody like Bill Gates creates a special needs trust using like a hundred billion dollars and you're the beneficiary of it right you don't need governmental assistance you could live for the rest of your life a very lavish lifestyle and you really don't need a dime of government assistance right with that kind of money and so what I think they're trying to get at is look if you've got enough money where you can live and you don't need government assistance, why should the government be paying out money for you now, if you're getting an inheritance that's say you know Let's say it's a million dollars, but you have a young person, somebody in their 20s. Well, you're not going to... Somebody in their 20s, especially somebody who has special needs, that has medical and, and all sorts of uh, needs because of disabilities, they're not going to be able to live on a million dollars over their lifetime. Right. They're going to exhaust it and it'll be gone. Right. And so the idea is, well, rather than forcing you to have to spend your million dollars before you get governmental benefits, we'll let you get governmental benefits and use the million dollars to supplement that along the way. And and that's acceptable. So at some point, the money becomes too much. And I don't know what that point would be. It depends on the case and the needs, I suppose. But I would imagine that like 20 million would be too much, and I mean, most people could probably live on 20 million even with disabilities, right? Unless they're particularly severe. I would even think
1: five million. If the five million is invested properly, yeah, you get a five percent right. return. That's what you know, 30000 a month or so in income, right? Hard to say that you should still be on the government rolls, but but maybe again, we don't plan in this area, we just see these things from time to time, and we wanted to make sure we were covering all the aspects of trust. Today, we happen to be covering the riveting subject
0: matter of special needs trusts. It's not, it's not the most interesting thing, but it is when it affects you. So, And there's two different ways to look at this too. So when we're talking about the special needs trust has to have a reasonable amount in it, that's if it's a first party special needs trust, one that where you're using your money to create a special needs trust for yourself. But if you had a third party special needs trust, if I were to create a trust for you and it's my money and I'm putting it in trust. I can put an unlimited amount in there and I can call the special needs trust if I want to. And there's nothing the government can do about that. The problem with it is then um, it becomes really restrictive on you. So if I give you a hundred million dollars and I say under the trust terms that you're allowed to use a thousand dollars a year, well, that trust obviously is not gonna be exhausted in your lifetime. And you're not really getting much of a benefit from that trust, so how much of a gift is it? So what I would do in that case, uh, and I think this was
1: the question you had, and that is you've got somebody that's a beneficiary of a special needs trust, and let's say that there's $5 million sitting there. Um, maybe they're willing to give up the government assistance to get to that $5 million. Is there a way that we can bust that trust open and get it to that individual? Yeah, possibly, yes. Possibly, yeah, possibly. and it's gonna take some court supervision, no doubt. Yes, And it's gonna take some circumstances that maybe when you, if you truly were giving me this money in a special needs trust, Maybe you didn't know that there was some medication I could take that would help me so that I don't have the disability to the effect that I did when you created the Special Needs Trust.
0: Right. Yeah, and so there's all sorts of sections in the probate code that talk about when you can terminate an irrevocable trust. And that's what these are. These are just irrevocable trusts, like any other irrevocable trust. They just like have what, to be really restricted. I'm interrupting
1: you, but I like what you said one time. There's a Cupert, which we don't need to go into Cuperts today, but QPIRTs, QPRTs, they're a type of irrevocable trust that a house goes into. And I remember that you were given the uh, exciting task one time of what you called killing a Cupert which I thought that rang out really well. <laughs> but, but the idea is you have an irre- irrevocable trust, it's a special needs trust, it's irrevocable irre- irrevocable for the non-lawyers out there and the normal people out there because we, we can't help it, it's irrevocable. Right. We need to kill that irrevocable trust
0: well, it's a revocable trust, so, I mean, is it easy to kill one of those trusts? I mean, what what do we do? Depends on the circumstances. So that's what I used to, you know, people would ask, can you terminate an irrevocable trust? And it's like, well, sure, we're lawyers, we can do whatever we want. But technically, no, an irrevocable trust can't be amended, can't be terminated. That, that's the beginning point. But there are code sections that you can go under where one of the, the ones that uh, we look at a lot is change circumstances. And that's what you're getting at is... Somebody all of a sudden doesn't have these special needs. They took a medicine, you know. Maybe they're better now. Who knows what? You can go in and ask the court to terminate that trust because of the changed circumstances that weren't anticipated when the trust was created. So that's one way to terminate an irrevocable trust. There's several others as well, but they can be terminated. You do need a court order to do it most of the time, but um, you know, chances are, if unless somebody's really going to object to it yeah you probably can get that done if you go to court
1: i mean again,
0: judges we've talked about
1: this many times. judges are all over the board, all you know ninety nine percent of judges good they want to do the right job out there, but because of their own experiences that they've brought to the bench, mm-hmm. one court might feel comfortable with terminating an irrevocable trust, and another court, under the same set of facts may not but I think the thing here that comes up time and again, and I think Mac Fisher, he was a judge, at it, and I may still be a judge in Riverside, um, and I respected him so much. And that was, uh, he said to me one time in Chambers, there's only two things you need to tell me when you come into my courtroom. The first is, what do you want? And he says, for some reason, lawyers can't tell me what they want. <laughs> the second is, you need to give me the authority I have to do what you're asking me. And so if you want to 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 stack your chances of, of getting the special needs trust to be modified by the court, you're gonna to have to clearly say what you want, which is fairly simple, we wanna modify this special needs trust, and then you're gonna to have to give some pretty good authority, mm-hmm. some, some good precedent, maybe even define the terms that bend them towards your way of looking at the case, and then, tell the court that they can do this, and you'll get a better chance of getting a judge to go along with that. You also, if the trustee joins in this, which they're going to have to, um, if you have other family members or friends that can come forward and give declarations or maybe even show up at the hearing,
0: those are all things that can stack the deck in your favor in getting a special needs trust modified. And there's a lot of confusion too. So a lot of times people will come in and it turns out that they're, they have a special needs trust, but they're not on government benefits. They never will be on government benefits and it was all just a misunderstanding so some way somehow a parent created a special needs trust for this person who doesn't have special needs and i think the terms are confusing because it could be that i just want to create a trust for my child because they're they they do not have special needs in the technical sense but they're not particularly good at investing, so I wanna leave it in a trust so it's properly invested. Well, that's not a special need. You might, in your brain, you might think, well, their special need is they can't invest, but it's not technically a special need. Special needs trust is a term of art, and so sometimes people misuse that, and they're confused by it, and so they end up setting up these special needs trusts that just aren't needed.
1: Thank God for LegalZoom, you know. <laughs> we get people setting up all kinds of crazy trusts. Yeah,
0: yeah, they sure do, so. So anyway, that, I think we went a little far afield about what a special needs trust is, and but that is, at least is, sets the groundwork, hopefully, for where we're at. So why don't we get into our ask and answer and see uh, what questions we have on this subject. So we do get a lot of questions about special needs trusts. And yeah, Miss Kayla, there she is.
2: Hello. Our first question is, how is a special needs trust different from a regular trust?
0: Well, for starters, it's not. So a special needs trust and a regular trust, I mean, trusts are trusts, right? It's an irrevocable trust like any other irrevocable trust. So it, it works the same. The only difference is the distribution provisions are very restrictive. So a special needs trust will say, you can only get money out of this trust for something that's not covered by the governmental benefits or anything extra versus another trust. Typically, if you set up a trust for a child, the distribution provisions are gonna be more expansive or more liberal than what a special needs trust would be. Yeah, the only thing
1: I agree with that, Keith. The only thing I would add is is that it's a special needs trust, the purpose is to carve out assets and keep them from being on the books, essentially, of the beneficiary uh, so that they can
0: continue to receive their government services. Right. All right, Kayla, what do you got next?
2: okay this is a question from the audience it's kind of a long one my brother and i went to court to find out about this trust amendment that awarded us fifty thousand dollars each on my behalf the money would go into a special needs trust and a new fiduciary would be in charge then later on my brother the successor trustee says he has to spend the money on necessary expenses so nothing had taken place except he's giving my other brother, a small amount of money. What is he really required to do?
0: So from, from what I gather, you know, you have money going into a special needs trust, but you're not getting any distributions because then the trustee says, well, there's all sorts of expenses we have to pay for out of the trust estate." And there are certain expenses that every trust is gonna incur. They're gonna incur trustees fees, they're gonna incur a tax return if they generate income. Uh, they might incur some bank charges if the bank is charging them fees and those are proper trust expenses. But aside from that, there really shouldn't be a whole lot more. And so at some point, some distribution should be made, I would think.
1: I agree, and I think if if you want to do one thing to get on the wrong side of a judge that I've seen in dealing with trusts and probate and estates, Is overcharge a special needs trust for your trustees fees or your attorneys fees or whatever it is because the judges understand what the purpose of this trust is for they understand it's usually a sympathetic beneficiary that's on on the end of the distributions and I think we did a case several of these segments back when we first started doing these lives and these live uh, Facebook uh, videos. I forget what the the case name was, but somebody out of Riverside had charged a special needs trust just an astronomical yes. amount of money. Yeah, and, and money happened. And Judge Caraman uh, took them to task and surcharged them and surcharged <laughs> them and made a lot of money. <laughs> right. So if you want to get the hackles of a judge up quickly, yeah. uh, have a bunch of expenses pertaining to a special needs trust. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think judges are particularly attentive to special needs trusts because they view them the same as conservatorships. guardianships so when you're going to court and you're asking for attorney's fees on a guardianship or even fiduciary fees on a conservatorship or guardianship you're going to get your fees cut probably most of the time and they're going to be very finicky about it because they know that it's for people who have disabilities or minors so i would agree with you there the other thing is is that once the money's in the special needs trust it's the trustee's job and duty to reach out to the beneficiary and say hey what do you need What's going on with you? You, know, right. do you? Are you getting everything you need? Right. You know, do you have the right wheelchair if you're in a wheelchair? Do you have the right medications, whatever? And so a lot of times what you see is the money goes into the trust and the trustee just ignores the beneficiary. And that's another big problem because trustees do have an obligation to, to at least find out and yeah. inform themselves.
2: How do I replace a special needs trustee who's abusing the special needs trust?
1: This goes back to what we were just talking about before, and it's going to be the same uh, idea of removing a trustee for breach of fiduciary duty that you're going to have with any other trust. Again, though, I think you're going to get a court that's going to look at this very closely because of the, the sensitive nature of the beneficiaries. And so if you have a, a trustee that's not doing their job, uh, chances are the court's going to remove them or suspend them and put somebody in that knows what they're doing to get the job
0: done. Yeah, and in this sense, removal is the same as any other trust, so breach of trust is going to be the same grounds of removal as you would, although like you said, the trust, the uh, judge is going to be more um, probably attentive to a removal here than another trust perhaps. That's right. I agree with that.
2: Can a special needs trust be changed or terminated?
0: Hmm. So, the answer is a definite maybe. Right? That's a typical lawyer answer, but uh, possibly. So there are grounds that you can go in, and we talked about this earlier, but there's grounds where you can go into court and ask the judge to terminate or change a special needs trust. Whether or not you're going to be successful on those grounds depends on a lot of criteria. Oh, you know, there are some trusts, though, some special needs trusts where there's a special trustee appointed who has the right to make certain changes or even distributions out of a special needs trust. I have seen that. Mm-hmm and that would be somebody who's maybe not the main trustee, but a a separate person who they call a special trustee who can exercise certain powers. But aside from that, you're pretty much going to court. Do you agree?
1: Yeah. Everything you're doing, you're going to court. If you're the trustee, and let's say you even have some discretion to make distributions out of this trust, I still think I'd do it with a petition for instructions just to make sure I get a a court stamp of approval on it,
0: especially with a special needs trust. Yeah, because otherwise what are you going to do? You're going to make the distribution and then somebody's going to complain you shouldn't have done that. That's right. So yeah, court order across the board.
2: What happens to a special needs trust after the beneficiary passes away?
1: Well, you look to the trust terms. Uh, Now, that was something I was going to ask you earlier because I don't know the answer to it. and that is. Can the beneficiary of a special needs trust while they're living, can they have a general power of appointment or a special power
0: of appointment in the special needs trust? I think they can have a special powers appointment, but not a general power of appointment. Because generally they could appoint it to themselves. Right, so a special power of appointment would allow them to appoint it to a very narrow class of people, somebody not themselves. Um, if it's a first party special needs trust, so if you set up a special needs trust for yourself using settlement monies, like we were talking about before, uh, then the proceeds have to be used to reimburse some of the public services you receive, medical right. and such things like that. If it's a third-party special needs trust, meaning your parents set it up for you and you used it, and now you pass away, then it's just going to go to whoever the successor beneficiaries are under the trust terms. But I think the beneficiary can have a special power appointment, not a general one. Okay.
2: What happens if the trustee of a special needs trust passes away and there's no successor trustee?
0: So the, um, you say the beneficiary passes away? The trustee passes Trusting. away. Oh, okay, and there's no successor trustee. It's just gonna be the
1: same. I mean, this is... Yeah, yeah, go to court. Yeah, go to court. I mean, uh, this is uh, the question is relating to a special needs trust, but it could relate to any trust, and that That's is true. Where, where you don't have a trustee and there's nobody listed in the trust document as the successor then you're going to go to court, uh, hopefully the beneficiary or beneficiaries can all come together and nominate somebody that they can agree with and if there's nobody objecting to that, chances are the court will rubber stamp that and and you'll have a new trustee
0: and, and move forward. Every now and again, you'll see these trust provisions where there's a procedure to appoint a new trustee outside of court either by a special trustee or the consent of the beneficiaries or something like that. But it's very rare, usually you're going to court to do it. I,
1: I, and if I was advising the presumptive successor trustee, I would say get a court order.
0: Well, yeah, not only that, but the banks might make you get a court order before right. they even hand over the funds. Yeah, because so. they're so easy to work with. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, banks are great to work with these <laughs> days, so user-friendly.
2: Can you create your own special needs trust, and if so, under what circumstances?
0: So you can, uh, that's probate code section 3600, 3604 that we talked about before. You have to be either a minor or a disabled person and that's usually done in the context of receiving a settlement off of a litigation. I don't think you can just say, I've got a bunch of money, can I have a special needs trust? But if you're receiving money, you can set something up like that. Uh, you have to give notice to all the governmental agencies so they can come in and object if they want to. You have to put a provision in there that they have a lien against the property. The property is going to have to go to reimburse some of the governmental assistance at the end of your lifetime. There's all sorts of rules. So you'd have to look up the probate code section 3604 and the sections around there and they'll give you kind of a full overview of it. I agree that the one curveball I'll throw
1: at you is that uh, while they're not special needs trusts, they can be confused with special needs trust, and that is the self-settled spendthrift trust. And we're seeing those being created in certain certain jurisdictions outside of California, for example, Alaska or Delaware. And the idea there is you take your money that you control currently, a big chunk, say several million dollars, and you put it in a spendthrift trust. You've created the trust yourself, and now you're saying, oh, I can't get it, can't use it. And believe it or not, the jury is out or the court system is out on how much California can come after those assets in the future. That's high level estate planning, much beyond the scope of the conversation today. But we are seeing that those are cropping up from time to time.
0: Yeah. And it's really important that you don't confuse that with special needs trust. Special needs trusts are confusing in their own right. Self-settled trusts are confusing in their own right. And I think people start confusing these concepts and then that's when things really get messed up. But yeah, the self-settled trusts are a whole nother ball game.
2: Our last question is can a special needs trust protect the beneficiary from IRS tax liens?
0: So in my opinion, yes. I mean, it certainly is going to lock away the assets, although even a child's trust would do that. So if I create a trust for my child and it has a spendthrift provision, I can protect them from an IRS tax lien. Of course, they can't get any of the money because if you make a distribution, that's subject to the lien. Uh, So I don't know what good that does you. But in theory, I think it would protect you from IRS tax lien.
1: I agree, and and I think to give the worst case scenario on these spendthrift provisions or the the idea that this person doesn't control when distributions, the beneficiary does not control when when distributions are mandated, let's say that beneficiary, that special needs trust goes out and does something horrible to somebody, some civil violation, uh, beats somebody up and breaks them into little pieces, and that person is injured and in the hospital recovering for a year. If that person who was injured by the beneficiary sues that beneficiary and gets a nice big judgment against them and then comes and tries to get the money from that trust, the trustee does not have to make that distribution. Is that how that would
0: work with the special needs trust? Uh, most likely, yeah, because you're going to have the same spendthrift provision as special needs trust. In fact, it's even more restrictive than like a child's trust. I think where I see issues is that sometimes people will say, well, my child has tax problems or my child's going through a divorce. And so I'm going to give them a special needs trust, and it's like, no, that's that's not what you want. You don't. They don't need a special needs trust. They need a. They, they might need a trust to hold their share in trust, a child's trust with a spendthrift provision. Yeah, right. And and some restrictive distributions, but but it's not a special needs trust. You have to understand that a special needs trust is for a very narrow set of circumstances. People who are qualifying for governmental benefits and want to continue to qualify for governmental benefits. That's it. It's not for any other purpose. Not
1: for your child who's going through their fourth divorce.
0: Right. Now we have other trusts for that (laughs) and we can, you know, there's other ways to set that up, but it's not going to be with a special needs trust. So that's where I see problems is that people get these special needs trusts who shouldn't have them. And it it does cause problems because imagine if you had money sitting in an account, you're not on governmental benefits and you could use some money to help put a down payment on a house. Well, if you had a regular child's trust, the money could be used no for that. No problem. Special needs trust, it can't be used right. for that. Right? So, so now what do you do? You've got to go to court. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. So you've got to be careful about how you set these things up in the first place. Do we have another question, Kayla? Or?
2: We just got a question in from Facebook. Can an attorney communicate and answer questions for a beneficiary who is monitoring the costs?
0: So, I'm sorry, were you asking about? Oh, I'm
2: sorry. that's all right. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. There was two separate questions. Can an attorney communicate and answer questions for a beneficiary? That's the first question. An attorney
0: for the trustee, I would assume. Yes, I think that's I guess right. so. So, yeah. so, what do you clarify? So, the question, I'll clarify the
1: question. Yeah. So, the idea is you're a beneficiary of a special needs trust can you call the trustee's attorney and talk to them directly and get information about the trust? Right, yeah,
0: and the answer is, I mean, you can certainly call the trustee's attorney and ask them questions, but that is not your attorney. That's the trustee's attorney. And so ultimately what they're going to tell you is you need to get your own attorney to give you your own legal advice, which is what you wanna do anyway, because if you got your own attorney, It'd be somebody who'd look out for your interests. The trustee's attorney is looking out for the trustee's interests, which may or may not be your interests. Correct. I mean, hopefully it's helpful to you, but maybe not. But I think people get confused because they think, well, this is the attorney for the trust. So they're there for the attorney for me. Right, as a beneficiary. Right. It, it doesn't work that way. There's no, there's no such thing as an attorney for a trust. The attorney is either representing the trustee, which is a person, or they're representing the beneficiary, which is a person, not both. So you have to do one or the other. And so there really is no attorney for the trust. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. And so, uh, whoever was asking that question, if you want to take a first stab at
1: trying to talk to the attorney, there's nothing wrong with that. But keeping in mind, they can't advocate for you. And in many cases, you're going to get them to say, you know, I can't tell you a whole lot. You need to go get your own lawyer, because they just don't want to have to deal with you calling them saying, you saying to them, hey, you know, you told me back on October 22nd, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. The lawyer doesn't owe any duties to you. Right. They owe duties to the trustee. It's really
0: a conflict too for right. that attorney to be going too deep into the advice because you can't advise the trustee and the beneficiary simultaneously because there's times when their interests are going to conflict.
1: That's right. So better, the better rule is to get your own lawyer, have them review the trust. They can call the trustee's attorney and figure out what's going on. I agree.
2: And the other part of that question was, who is monitoring the costs?
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: Stuart, who's monitoring the cost of these trusts? No one.
1: Um, So that that leaves it up to you, uh, the beneficiary, to ask for accountings. And again, they shouldn't be real expensive accountings, they can be informal, they might be court ordered, depending on what the trust terms say. But at least getting an accounting once a year is a good idea. Looking at the big ticket items, what are the trustees fees, what are the attorneys fees, uh, distributions, making sure you're looking at the distributions going, yep, I got that, I got that, I got that. Um, there is a distinction, just uh, if you write this down, it's easier to remember that there's disbursements and distributions in the accounting.
0: And disbursements are going to be what, Keith? And distributions are going to be what? Disbursements are payment of expenses and bills that the trust incurs. Distributions are payments out to beneficiaries. Right. So they they sound similar, but they're different things. Right. So disbursements are going to be to the, the
1: healthcare providers, to the wheelchair manufacturer, to pharma- pharmacies. Uh, for a special medication. You'll see that all on a list in the accounting. And then you'll look at your distributions under the trust and you'll see if that's in line with what you remember receiving. If all of that looks good, chances are there's not a whole lot you need to do. But if you start seeing distributions to you that you never got, that's where you (laughs) may need to follow
0: up with a lawyer of your own just to find out what's going on. Or disbursements for expenses that are unexplained, you know, or for companies that you don't understand. I think it's interesting, though, that you point out, and I think it's very important that people understand this, that there is no independent government agency that are monitoring these expenses. You can't call up somebody and say, hey, have you been paying attention to my trust? No, it's the beneficiaries. ultimately the beneficiaries' obligation, I suppose. Not legally, but practically speaking, to pay attention to what's happening and to ask for accountings and information. I agree. And let me say
1: this to whoever asked that question. If there is a problem and the trustee has been spending too much money on things they shouldn't have been doing for whatever reason, they've they've committed breaches of trust, once you do file that with the court, now you're going to get a court that has their own review attorneys in the back of the courthouse, they're going to pay particular attention to a special needs trust. So there's going to be some review there, and then, of course, you hopefully would have your own lawyer who's going to be able to point out to the court anything the court may have missed in their review or to enhance what the court has already reviewed, and then you get hopefully like we had in the one case where Judge Carriman hammered a trustee for a significant amount of money because of inappropriate expenditures.
0: Right, yeah, but that that's going to court and taking the trustee to court, yeah, it takes some work, takes yeah. some, some work there. Good question. you have any other questions, Kayla?
2: That's it for today.
0: Okay, so we're going to try a new segment called Our Opinion. And I'm going to move over here for a second. And I'm going to put Kayla, I'm going to put Manisha in the hot seat if you can get in there.
3: Hello.
0: All right. We're going to go in the hot seat, Manisha. This is Manisha. Hi, everybody. So you might remember Manisha from last week's live broadcast when she was here helping us explain what paralegals do. Yes, indeed. And so today, you're going to what? Ask us some questions? Are we going to have a dialogue? Questions. What are we doing? Questions,
3: absolutely. Okay. Um, as mentioned in our parallel statement, I am a non attorney. So um, I'm a consumer, uh, probably more like the people that are watching. And some questions um, do come to mind. The first thing I wanted to do, though, um, was ask I guess, elaborate on the question that we answered um, from uh, Facebook. And there's something that the, uh, the the person who asked the question referenced, and that was PVP attorney. Mm-hmm. So, in that situation, can the beneficiary go to those attorneys and ask those questions and, and expect to be um, provided with answers?
1: Well, I know a couple of PVP attorneys, <laughs> uh, all good people. Yeah. Uh, now, PVT, let's, let's explain that a little bit. So uh, my
0: understanding is that is unique to Los Angeles County, is do we have that in Orange County as well? Uh, well, it, the term PVP comes out of LA, which is the private volunteer panel. But um, you see the same type of concept in a lot of different counties, even if they don't call them PVP attorneys necessarily. But PVP originated in Los Angeles and what it is, is it's a list of private attorneys that the court has. And anytime somebody needs a court-appointed attorney in a conservatorship or a guardianship, uh, then they go down the list and they just choose the next one. And it's a rotating list and they just go around. A lot of counties do that. I think Orange County does do it, Riverside, San Bernardino, they all have court-appointed attorneys for minors and disabled people in conservatorships. So yeah, they, I guess, but there's, there's a distinction with that type of an attorney versus an attorney for a beneficiary. And what, I mean, what do you, how would you dis- classify that distinction? Well, I think it's, it's as you stated.
1: I think they've been appointed by the court for a specific purpose. And right. so I think what I've seen, if there's money available, many times if somebody is the PVP attorney helping mm-hmm. out somebody, they have their own lawyer as well. So yeah. if that person was getting that, can I just rely on what the PVP attorney is telling me? You might be able to. I mean, it's not the worst, it's not the worst place to be, but ultimately you may want your own lawyer helping you out as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: because with the PVP panel, uh, they are there to talk to and advise the disabled person. That's true. They are kind of advocating for them, but they also have the ability in conservatorship actions to express an independent opinion about the situation that may not be what the individual wants Mm -hmm. because the individual might lack capacity. And so the PVP attorney is there to advise and represent, but more so to advocate based on what they think is good, which is a little different from what a true lawyer does. That
1: advocates fully for their client at all times.
0: Based on what the client wants. That's right. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a distinction, but I would say this, a PVP attorney is better than talking to the trustee's attorney. I agree.
3: So. One of the questions that I had was who should a special needs trust beneficiary ask for help in understanding their trust fund? So would this be a good person for them to go to?
0: Not necessarily. I think they should get their own attorney. And there are attorneys who specialize in medical cal planning and, and all of those sorts of things. Those are great attorneys to ask because they're really up to speed on all of this. Again, we deal with it in litigation. So every right. now and again, we're litigating a case that has one of these trusts, but we don't create them. Uh, we no longer advise people on, on creating them or, or setting them up. Uh, we used to do that years ago, but there are qualified attorneys who do that, and that's who I would suggest. What do you think, Stuart? Well,
1: and I think this all goes back to if you're the beneficiary of a special needs trust or any trust for that matter, oh, you know, get, get an accounting once a year from the trustee, review it, look at it as we've just briefly just, uh, discussed. if If you see something that doesn't look right, chances are it's not right. Maybe it's a mathematical error, but it may be more than that. And so that's when you're going to want to go see a lawyer and that that lawyer will be personal to you and you'll be able then to have that lawyer contact the trustee's lawyer and hopefully get to the bottom of what the problem is. There may not be a problem at all. Maybe it just it can be cleaned up really quickly or in some cases there may be a problem and we need to have a trustee pay some money back to the trust. Right.
3: So another question that I have is if the financial circumstances of a uh, special needs beneficiary changes, and maybe they don't need assistance from the mm-hmm. government like they may have. Um, what can they do? Is there a way for them to access more of, of their trust fund or to to change the um, the the uh, the type of trust fund it is, what can they do if they are in a different situation now and they would like to be able to access more funds?
0: you got to go to court. And I think that's what we were talking about earlier is that if you want to, in most circumstances, you're going to have to go to court and seek a court order to modify the trust terms, change the distributions, change the type of trust it is or terminate the trust altogether. I mean, the, you know, there's a number of options you'd have to analyze there. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Stuart? Well, it's the art
1: of lawyering at this point. Do you have a good reason to terminate that trust or to change right. that trust or to modify that trust? And this goes back to Judge Mac Fisher who said, tell the court what you want and tell the court what authority it has to do it. And so that's good lawyering. It's making sure to take the time to put a clean, concise, clear thinking motion in front of a judge saying, judge, we want to, to, or it's a petition in this case, we want to modify this trust for these various reasons. Most courts, if you do a good job in asking for it and lining out the precedent that allows the court to do this, they're gonna work with you as long as there's not some third party showing up and objecting for whatever reason. If there is an objection, then the court's gonna wanna hear what that objection is. And then the court can make a determination from there. Maybe even after a small trial, the court will make a determination. So somebody does object, it's gonna take some time to work out. Chances are there won't be too many people objecting and you'll get some modification under the
0: facts you just gave me. And the thing I would add to what Stuart just said, which is a really good point is, part of it too, if you're gonna present your argument to the court is saying why, okay, I'm not on government, this beneficiary is not on governmental benefits now, are they going to come back onto the governmental benefits at some point? Because the judge is going to want to know that. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to anticipate what makes a judge feel comfortable terminating something that's been established for somebody who needs help. And if you can show them that for whatever reason this person has improved and they're going to remain in this improved state for a very long time or indefinitely, you're going to have a better chance of getting that through the court and, and, and by the judge. Right. Right.
3: So what are some of the things that a parent should consider when deciding whether or not to set up a special needs trust?
1: Well, does your child have a disability? Mm -hmm. If if your child has a disability and that disability is provided for by Medi-Cal or Social Security or some other type of federal or state entity, Mm -hmm. uh, then you're going to want to be thinking, do we need a special needs trust?
0: Yeah. And that's hugely important because there's a lot of people who certainly uh, may have some sort of disability, but that doesn't mean they should have a special needs trust. It may not be the type of disability that allows them to qualify for governmental benefits, or it might be the type of governmental benefits that are not extinguished just because you got an inheritance. There are some things that you can get from the government even though you have an inheritance. And so I think there needs to be a discussion about what is it that this child needs, and is this the right way to address it? And I think people are too quick to rush into these things and say, yeah, special needs trust, go ahead, set it up.
1: Well, that's, and that's where, again, the art of lawyering, get a good right. lawyer that knows what they're doing in this area. And I think that you'll see, um, you'll, you, it'll save a lot of heartache and even cost down the road if you get a lawyer to begin with that knows what they're doing to give you good advice because you may not end up setting up a special needs trust. Mm-hmm. You might do a regular trust with a spendthrift provision and, and a strong discretionary power to the trustee and it meets the goal that you're looking for rather than setting something up that you got to go kill in the future to then go set up what you were going to should have set up in the first place, okay. if that makes sense.
3: Yes, it does. Right. I like
1: this. I like this segment. I like Manisha being here and she gets to put us under the gun. And I was really nervous. My hands were shaking. I was holding them tight. because You don't
0: know what she's going to say. No, no. She's going to come out of
1: left field. Yeah, it could be something that like I don't have an answer. She's got access to my Facebook account. I know she's she's been following (laughs) me all over. I I mean,
0: although one of the things you've been talking about art of lawyering a lot. And one of the arts of lawyering is if you don't know, just make it up. Just be real confident. Yeah, just be, yeah, right. Just say it with, with confidence and you can do it. It's also nice to have a non-lawyer sit in because number one, it's more interesting because lawyers are boring, right? Especially Stewart.
3: You guys definitely are, are not boring. Okay,
0: yeah. well, that's good. And plus you can kind of, uh, sometimes I notice that we'll be talking about a concept or something that we just kind of take for granted. And I think it's unfortunate because there's a, a, a gap in in how lawyers think and talk versus how non-lawyers think and talk. And it's nice to be able to bridge that gap. We talked about that last week, but Mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to bridge that gap. So thank you. I
3: agree. It's nice to be able to come to you while we're actually talking to everybody and not after. And share
0: it, yeah. So hopefully other people can learn from as well. Well,
1: I I want to say in in ending that Manisha and Kayla really are the two that make all of this available. We just come in and,
0: and chat away. So thank you very much, ladies. We appreciate it. And you know, if Kayla, if you'll come back on the screen for just a moment, you can block Manisha's. Hey! Hey, look. We're one go person. Wait, Kayla. So we have to decide who we are. It's uh, Kayla's head on Manisha's bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you can do your hands, you know? Can yeah. yeah.
1: you see that one more time? Uh, do your yeah, hands. Come on, man. You <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: creating a new person. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Thank you,
3: Manesha. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And we look forward to seeing everybody next time on the Stand Fight Win live stream. Remember, you can always find a recorded version of this video on Facebook and YouTube. And you can listen to an audio-only version on...
3: Podbean.
2: Podbean,
0: yes, because I always get it wrong. Thank you for joining us. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye.